Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 55. Today on the show, I have Perry Nicholson, chiropractic physician, corrective exercise specialist, and founder of Stop Chasing Pain. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. All right, welcome to episode 55. Thank you for being here with us today. And we have Perry Nicholson on the show. This is a little bit of a different episode from the typical flavor of this podcast. Oftentimes we have speed coaches or uh, speed and power, if you will, coaches, strength and conditioning, and occasionally things uh, along the, more along the lines of nutrition. Uh, but uh, this one, we're going to dive into uh, an important direction that I did want to take the show, which is into corrective exercise uh, and human patterning, and I think we're... Or, human movement optimization and, and the whole activation realm uh, that's kind of sweeping over the industry a little bit. And I think any pretty much any strength coach or fitness trainer, uh, if you're in the field of training athletes, you also are somewhere on the spectrum of either corrective type movements or uh, myofascial release maybe. I would almost feel like there's almost like a little continuum like on the low end everybody uses foam rollers and, and those types of things and then you you move on up to uh, some of the more modern like activation based paradigms that are that exist in the field and then all the way up to strength coaches who actually have uh, an LM, LMT and can put their hands on athletes so no matter where you are as a coach uh, in the in the spectrum uh, or even an athlete there's uh, levels of things we do to try to get athletes kind of functioning at a higher level. So that's why we are, are going this way on the show today. And I'm, I'm excited to have Perry on in that regards. He's definitely the epitome of a guy who is a lifelong learner. Uh, he is a master fitness trainer with 25 years of experience or over 25 years of experience in the industry. He is uh, certified in FMS, SFMA, and then all levels of neurokinetic therapy. And uh, neurokinetic therapy was one of my stops in my kind of search for this whole uh, human act and and muscle activation and resetting paradigm and it was a really just a great uh, series had really learned a lot not just about kind of how to uh, learn a, which muscles are facilitated and inhibited and how to go through the process there but just just how the human body responds to injury and and movement dysfunction in general and just learned a whole lot really broadened my um Horizons and a name that they talked about at that uh, seminar, uh, which is run by uh, David Weinstock, is Perry Nicholson. And ever since, I've been looking into Dr. Perry's work and just been on this journey of how I can better integrate uh, concepts of corrective exercise into my own work. And, and Dr. Perry is a great guy to talk with all this regarding. He's a journeyman. He's been through so many schools of thought and, and paradigms and. Just seeing how the lessons he's learned from it all and the wisdom he has and how to put it all together uh, in our own corrective exercise and uh, approaching dysfunction and pain, uh, how to go about it uh, is just really good information. So uh, looking forward to getting you guys this episode. Let's get to it. Episode 55 with Perry Nicholson. Dr. Perry, uh, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for being here. 
Well, thank you very much for having me on, my friend. It's nice to be on the other side of the mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know how it is. Yeah, due to those podcasts, it's nice just to sit back and not not uh, have to go through questions and, and all that type of thing. So I'm, I'm excited to have you. And could you start with uh, just telling me a little bit about your background and what got you, the brief version of what got you to the place you are now? Oh, man, yeah. Well, I've been on this earth for 50 years, so it could take a little time. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I'll give you a bridge version. Uh, really into bodybuilding and fitness early on in life, got jacked up like most people in fitness do, uh, ignored it, kept saying maybe it'll go away, and it did, but eventually, you know, it didn't, <clears throat> and my body stopped being resilient, and uh, went to a chiropractor, put me back together, and I decided, you know, that's kind of cool shit, I might be, I like to do that, and then I became a chiropractor, but honestly, I really didn't like just doing chiropractic, and then that led me to my journey of where I am now of really just trying to discover why people get in pain in the first place why uh it keeps coming back and uh yeah and that led me into looking at neuroscience and movement and all sorts of different type of modalities and i think over the years of my constant quest of looking for the why uh, that's what i go for now and try to teach as much as i can to people all over the world because i think i, I found the answer um at least in my opinion and uh you know maybe i'll share some of that today so the abridged version is i got my ass kicked a lot by uh life and then i just took those life experiences and stuff and then now my message and my mission is to try to maybe help at least uh one other person on this planet and then i'll be happy <laughs> yeah that's awesome i'm sure yeah your your information is going to help a lot of people out on this show and so i'm looking forward to asking you these questions uh, yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, it's definitely going to be probably different than, you know, a lot of other people's approaches. But that, I always talk about these two paths you can go down in therapy, but also in life. You can go down what's called the same old shit path, which is where everybody goes. And if you get where you want to go on that path, then more power to you. But most of the time in the world today, especially with people in pain, uh, we're not going in the right direction. We're getting sicker. We're getting in more pain. People are working out more than ever, but we're sicker than ever. We're heavier than ever. We got more injuries than ever. So I'm like, maybe it's time to go down the other path, and that's what I live on, and that's called the crazy shit path, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So I guess we'll we'll start it off with a question that I think there's a lot of people who are probably going down the, the wrong path or the same old path, and uh, that's the, the, the buzzword is just having a weak core. Uh, but uh, the, well, the first, uh, I guess I can address this question in multiple ways, but the first part is, well, what do you define as the core? What is the core really in terms of athletic movement and good functioning movement? Well, I mean, I don't believe in breaking the body down into body parts at all because that's not the way your brain thinks. That's not the way your body thinks. It, it doesn't know jack shit about what muscles are called, where they attached, you know, where they end, what they're supposed to do based on an EMG study that you did on a lab. I mean, the body's got its own agenda, whether we know it or not. Um, so I look at the body as an entire functioning unit. Uh, I do believe that you need to uh, generate force and be able to control external force because, uh, and there's a certain way you can do that. Because I, I believe that every musculoskeletal non-traumatic, that means that, you know, nothing hits you. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, that you, then you, When you're just like, I don't know why I got hurt kind of thing, right? Or you're an athlete and you just like to run and then all of a sudden you can't run anymore. Uh, and that's because you can't control external force. And external force is gravity with it relentlessly pushing down on you. And what happens is I talk about how the body uh, is able to generate force and control force. So uh, you need to do that from the center out of your body. And if you want to call that the core, you can call it your core, but I just call it center mass right in the beginning. And it radiates out like an explosion pattern. We call that an exploder where you generate force. So it goes from center out. Then it goes, if you think about uh, to the shoulders, then to the hips, then it goes down the arms to the hands, then down the legs to the feet. Yeah, but most people in the world today do the opposite. They implode. They actually cave in through the hands, through the feet, through the arms, through the legs, in and this way. And what happens is when you implode, you can't absorb force well. You can't generate force well. And then you overuse your arms and your legs to not only try to generate for, uh, force, but you amplify it too. Because the arms and legs are 
only supposed to amplify for us. They're not supposed to generate it. And if they have to generate and amplify, they get really pissed off. And when they get mad, they tell you that first by getting really, really tight, getting really, really restricted, you know, maybe some muscle knots, some AKA trigger points, some vascular adhesions, or what they're going to do is stop letting you move them well, which means I'm going to lock down your hip, I'm going to lock down your ankle, I'm going to lock down your shoulder, I'm going to lock down your wrist. So those are all subtle hints that your brain is giving you that, hey, uh, you know, you can't control what's going on in your body, so I'm just going to do the next best thing to try to protect you. I'm going to take away your ability to move so you don't move. And it does that so you don't screw yourself up. But what happens is we go in and we're like, oh, I know. I went to this course. I went to school for this. I know how to make those things move more. So you move them. But what happens is you don't reteach the body how to control that new movement that you gave it, and it eventually just locks up again. And eventually the only way your brain can communicate with you and ultimately win, because it always wins, is that it taps you on the shoulder and says, get ready because here comes the pain. And then it hits you with pain. Uh, pain is the last thing you feel in, in any injury mechanisms that's non-traumatic. It's not the first thing you feel. And the little-known secret is that it takes approximately 10 years for that pain that you feel in your muscle that came out of nowhere to show up. Yeah, that's I believe it too. I mean, there's so many people who train crazy in their 20s or or, or late teens or whatever. Uh, especially the way that a lot of like you know football mentality training goes on and. Yeah, we I that makes sense to me. People who can get away with it and don't don't have to quite pay for it in a sense until they about ten years down the road. Yeah, and today we go harder, faster, stronger, longer. We just feel that more is better, and it's actually the opposite. I mean, better is better. Just because you can do all that stuff doesn't mean you should be doing it. I mean, when I was working out in the early '80s, man, I mean, overtraining was a big problem then, but it was more bodybuilding related. Now it's more overall training related and athletics, especially for these young kids that I see all the time because they go from one athletic uh, event to another one. They're playing multiple sports. They're being pushed pretty hard. They have multiple coaches, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, they just don't have the ability to recover and regenerate. And they're actually getting uh, poor performance. You get worse because of the training that you're doing. You're just taxing the shit out of your nervous system. And then the, the nervous system's just gonna, uh, it's gonna backfire on you. And then that's what pain is. To me, the, the def I tell people all the time, the definition of pain is this. Pain is a request for change. And I say, request from what? Well, it's a request from your brain and your nervous system and your body to say, you better change some shit up, Sparky, or I'm gonna hurt you. And it's changes how you move, how you eat, how you rest. It's your life, it's your habits. It's not changing uh, what kind of pill you decide to take or what kind of ointment you rub on your body, or what kind of quote-unquote specialist that you want to see for your uh, painful area that bothers you. Yeah, and, that's... Uh, it, so. Oh, yeah, sorry, I jumped in there a little early. I was just kind of interested in what you said no. there. And I, I've heard you I've heard you uh, talk about this before. It seems like it's popular on podcasts. Uh, what I've been... People have talked about the last seminars I've been to, but they like just pain science in general and even just beyond that even just muscle soreness in general like just these these neural constructs that we're just trying to figure out and i mean what what is kind of the science saying about pain and i'm sure you kind of talked about it just a little bit there in your your answer but what are some of the things we're learning about pain here in the last couple of years well it's very funny man uh you know i i think that first of all human beings just naturally like to overcomplicate everything it, it makes us feel a little bit more important and uh, I always think that the body and uh, what I like to call Mother Nature are kind of laughing their ass off uh, about how we try to explain pain. The, the biggest takeaway from pain is this, is that pain is 100% subjective, which means it's open to interpretation. You can't qualify it. You can't quantify it. We try to on this numbered scale of zero to 10, but my 10 may be your three because right? my only reference point is my own life, right? And so it, it's perception. Pain is perception. So you can't put an objectivity on it in regards to uh, any research study, in my opinion, because 
if I took the same person, for instance, with say they say had a level nine of pain for something when they do a movement, if I take that person and I put them in a completely different environment, which means I change the temperature of the room, I change the music that you're listening to, I change the way that I talk to you, I change the way that I dress you, or what type of equipment I'm actually testing you on. Maybe I make the seat cold as hell. What's going to happen is your brain perceives all that neurosensory input differently, and you're going to change your level of pain based on me changing just those things, not anything to do with your tissue. So pain is not correlated to the amount of tissue damage that you have. That's one of the biggest discoveries over the years. It's not like we used to think that, you know, you have a smash on your finger and then it's really, really bad. So it's got to be more pain. Um, you know, there's people that you can give them a little paper cut and they're sucking their finger or calling for their mommy in the corner. And I got some people that, you know, they've got a mangled arm and they're like, I don't feel anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> and that happens a lot in back pain, especially because we see MRIs that show a disc herniation in the back. And then somebody's like, oh, well, thanks for the tip. I appreciate it, but I don't have any pain. And then you got somebody who, first of all, has an excruciating pain. They're like, I don't see anything on your MRI. I'm like, yeah, but I'm hurting. But then here's the other uh, part of that, that somebody can have a disc herniation on their MRI, and then they blame that for somebody's pain, and it has absolutely nothing to do with their pain. So then they become married to the, the, the MRI as a cause of their pain. So it gets caught in this pain loop where pain is in the brain. And it's very simple in regards to pain. I tell people, if you think you feel better, you feel better. If you think you feel worse, you feel worse. Now you know how to control pain. You know? But you know, if you've got damage too, like I mean, if your arm's hanging off, you're not gonna come see me and say, think about your pain going away. You have to go get medical attention, right? But unfortunately, I think the way that we treat pain today is the way we have tried to treat acute infectious diseases over the course of uh, humankind. You can't give a shot for pain like you tried to cure the measles or the mumps. It just ain't happening that way. So we, we see this, we want to give it that. And that is a flawed system in relationship to what's happening in the world today with autoimmune diseases, chronic pain, and we're going about it like we did when we tried to cure chicken pox and we're getting our asses kicked. It's not working. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Hmm. Do you think that that's really interesting too? Do you think that it can also be applied in even things like muscle soreness? Like I worked out really hard and, and soreness in the muscles and the, the signaling that's happening with the brain in those conditions? Yep, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I mean, because you can decrease somebody's level of pain just by the nature of uh, how you talk to them, just by the nature of how you touch them. And that's one of the most fascinating things that I'm discovering with my work and the way I, where I teach very differently is there used to be a time frame when I thought that, well, I'm just going to go hard, right? I'm going to massage you hard. I'm going to inflict some of this, ooh, hurts so good kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, that sucked, man. But I felt so much better afterwards. But I'm like, I don't really care if you feel better afterwards. What I'm looking for is, does it last? Because uh, anything can make a temporary change in your nervous system. But if it doesn't stick, to me, it's useless. And what I'm finding is the harder you go on your nervous system, the more it pushes back. So you have to be a lot uh, nicer, a lot gentler in your uh, treatments. So right now, when I work with somebody, uh, I, I don't inflict any pain or any discomfort and any of the uh, releases or movements that I'm doing. And it was a, a pretty big paradigm shift for me to do that because I was thinking initially, you know, or, or they were thinking initially, I mean, what are you, are you really doing anything to me if you're not hurting me? And even then that's perception, right? It's perception of you got to get in there, you got to move me, you got to hurt me in order for me to get better. And it's the exact opposite. And because uh, if, if you inflict pain, on your body when I'm trying to teach you to uh, move differently or to teach you a different uh, movement pattern, uh, it won't let you learn it because pain automatically takes you back into 
survival mode and habit and compensation because it just wants to go back to what it feels good with. And that's what, what it's felt good with is what's been jacking you up all your life. And it, so you get the exact opposite when you go hard. And so mo if you think about 99% of the modalities and treatments that people get the day for pain, that's exactly what they're doing. Oh, that's awesome. I, that actually, it's funny because I, and it's not actually in terms of like the direction of some of the questions, it's not necessarily where I was hoping to go, but I, I love what you just said. Like I, I am like, that is really interesting to me. And I, I, I want to dig deeper in that because I've been to multiple, um, like, M, you know, MAT and, uh, you know, be activated and then NKT, which I know we both have experience with and, and, and PRI oh, cool. and all these good, cool systems. But, and so, and, but I've seen, I always wonder, and you mentioned stickiness, like, like, and, and, and then Z health as well. And somebody from Z health had told me like, well, anything can change anything. Like, cause I've done so many systems like, um, unintentionally wrong. Like I, I did a muscle test and I, I did the wrong point on my subject next, and, but they still tested strong after I still got a change. And I see that stuff. And I, I've seen stuff like Charles Polquin, like doing like very painful stuff around the jaw and getting yep. these big changes and I'm, I, sometimes I think to myself, well, how much of that change was just, well, there's a lot of pain and that amps up the placebo effect maybe. And, but then what you just said is how does it stick and what determines the stickiness? That's what I really am interested in. And, and yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I've also, I've, I've been around some of those uh, procedures that are very painful, but I've heard some people, a uh, uh, friend of mine, Dan Victor, who's also been on this has mentioned like therapists, you know, who are very, um, very gentle and they they do the the techniques very gently as a way to not inflict pain and that really resonates with what you said there yeah uh, absolutely well i mean all, all those techniques that you mentioned are great you know i mean i've, I've been to many of them myself and if you've been to be activated you know that shit is not nice and easy that's like that can get in there um but uh yeah because the way i was looking at it was this okay Everything that you do to someone and what people are doing out in the world with their therapy, it, it can help. I mean, it, everything works for someone. And I think everyone has some really great intentions to help another human being. And man, I, I admire that like crazy because it's usually something that happened to us personally that brought us into this world of uh, health and fitness to carry that forward to other people. But, you know, I mean, I was a chiropractor and I still am, but. I didn't want to have to see somebody so many times. And I kept thinking to myself, why, why does this stuff not hold that we do to people? And of course, they're going to go back, right? And then they're going to get into their lifestyle and they're going to get into their habits. Well, movement is a habit. And if you're going to change movement and if you're going to change pain, you're going to have to do it as a habit. And if I'm going to be seeing you for therapy and for care, and every time I see you, you hate my guts, or you're in pain because you just sucks. I don't want to go back. Well, your brain's not going to let you learn anything from that because it's a threat. And if your nervous system and your brain feel threat in any way, it shuts off learning, period. Shuts it off, period. You're not getting anything in. I don't care whether you think you are. You're not. And it won't stick. And I always, my new motto is if it ain't sticking, you ain't thinking which means that you better step outside what you're doing and think about the person that you're dealing with. And many times stuff doesn't stick, even though it's a great therapy, because you've got a person who's dealing with a lot of emotional, deep-seated issues. And it's the emotion of chronic pain. It's the emotion of, if we're an athlete, it's the emotion of, is this going to end my career? What am I going to be able to do with myself? Am I still going to be able to play? Am I still going to be able to do what I love to do? And for other people, it always goes back to past traumatic events that happened in their life that is, is uh, feeds forward into an injury they have now. So that's when I said about 10 years, right? I mean, I go back into somebody's history way back, and something that happened to you 10 years ago honestly means way more to me than what just happened to you on your current injury. Because the, the side of pain treatment for what hurts, we should do. Like, okay, if you're benching and then your shoulder hurt, right? First, you'd have to look at, uh, you know, what your bench press technique is like and, you know, what you do for yourself for recovery regeneration. 
But I can treat your shoulder, no problem. I mean, that shit's easy to do. Anybody can do that. But what I want to do is figure out why that shoulder pick that time, this day, that minute, that rep, that second to hurt you. And I just got to ask it. And the way I ask it is talking to you, watching you move. And I don't even call it muscle testing anymore because the brain doesn't think like that. I call it pattern testing. What I'm looking for is I'm just looking for how your brain can pattern an, an external force. And that's all a outside quote unquote muscle test is. It's external force. And I told you before that if you can't handle external force, then you're going to get a musculoskeletal injury. And then so what I do is that's the person I go back and they put, I go a very detailed history, not only about the area that hurts you, but something like, oh, you know, well, 10 years ago, that's no big deal, man. I just fell on my wrist, uh, you know, hurt my wrist on my right-hand side. That's where I'm going. Oh, and yeah. I'll usually link that to your uh, injury that hurts, especially if I treat the shoulder and you don't get better, right? As, listen, sometimes you screw yourself up, and I'm like, dude, you damaged your shoulder. You got to get surgery. It's just no way around it. But when the surgeon goes in and he ties you up, then you're off the surgeon playground. Now you come to mine, right? And then we can put you back together. But uh, my, my new motto is this. I, I kind of I change it up every time that I say it. But I'm like, I want you to be a jerk. I kind of want you to be an asshole when you assess, which means you better press in hard. You better push in hard. You better move hard because the person should not feel discomfort or pain when you do that. But when you treat, you better be super nice, brother. No pain, nothing like that. Be a jerk when you treat. Be nice. I mean, be a jerk when you assess. Be nice when you treat. And here's here's what I'm trying to get to. You shouldn't have pain in either one of those scenarios. If I can get to that point, then I know you're good. Yeah. Yeah, that was really insightful. Th thanks for all that. I actually have a couple uh, follow-up questions off a few things you said. Hopefully, I can juggle these here. Uh, the first is, and I feel I think, I feel like uh, I, I did a, an episode with track coach Dan Path, who's also a great uh, therapist. And and what he, I think what he had said, I think what you had said, or maybe the same thing, but you had talked about not muscle testing in isolation being different than the pattern, like. Just because you could get someone's like glute to test weak in an isolated incident wouldn't necessarily mean that that glute isn't doing anything in a different movement plane. That's correct. It's a little little phrase that I say that I um, I go by this. It's I'll say it twice because you'll have to really listen to it. Um, muscles change what they do, when they do it, and how they do it based on what you did before what you just did. <clears throat> Muscles change what they do, when they do it, how they do it, based on what you did before what you just did, which means I can test your glute backs, <clears throat> you know, in a, on your stomach, pushing down on your buttock. But that initiates already an, an outside stimulus into your body. And then everything else has to react to what I just did there. And if I, if I change you into a supine, which means lying on your back position, that's a completely different neural pattern. So I, when I test your quote-unquote hip extension buttock pattern there, you may really be great when you're on your back. But if I put you on your stomach and then say, well, I'm testing your glute max here, I'm like, well, you're really not. You're testing a different extension pattern. And from that point, it'll test completely different. So the muscle can work well in one particular pattern or environment as opposed to another. And honestly, sometimes it could be just as simple as when I put somebody face down in the table, they can't see anything and they they get vulnerable. They freak, then the nervous system shuts off, then they can't do it. If I put them on their back, then they can look with their eyes, they can feel more in control and they're not feeling threatened and they can breathe. So then they'll be stronger. It could be something just like that. So you've gotta test it in many different ways and just take into consideration the buttock of the person you're working with, which means my buttock is not the same as your buttock, right? I mean, even though you say, well, it attaches here, it does this concentrically, it does this isometrically, it does this eccentrically, here's its origin and here is its origin. And I'm going to say, well, that's nice, but I, I don't give a shit. That doesn't matter to me because I know that when I talk to you, your ass has had a different life history than my ass. 
right? And so it's going to respond differently to what I do to it, how I test it, you know, the environment that I have you in. So therapy needs to not be about uh, conditions or quote-unquote diagnoses because the diagnosis has zero correlation to what the actual cause is. So you say, your diagnosis is plantar fasciitis. I'm like, well, thanks a lot, Sparky. What the hell can I do with that? Like, why did I get it? But they're going to treat you like plantar fasciitis. And your plantar fasciitis won't be like my plantar fasciitis. Why? Because your foot's different than my foot. But yet we go back to cookie cutter stuff because that's the way medicine is. So I completely agree with what your coach says is that you have to look at a pattern because, first of all, your brain doesn't know what a glute max is. I have no idea. It just looks at hip extension. And you know you can't isolate just one muscle when you test. We can try to get as close as we can based on what we think we're doing. But then that's also another case of uh, people overanalyzing the shit out of something. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, you can definitely get really, really complicated with with all the origins and insertions and synergists yeah. and one muscle test and movement and those types of things, no doubt. Yeah, you can you can get OCD on it, man. You know, and and, and just like any any type of craft that you want to master, it takes practice, right? I mean, so people say, well, there's no validity in doing a uh, muscle test and I'm like well I mean it's it, that's the kind of way it is with everything uh, it's going to depend on one doing it more often so you get comfortable with it and most of the time when you do any manual therapy work or assessment you it, it's about observation really I mean honestly I can watch somebody um, I'll have them move their body part into the position that I want to test them in. And I can tell you already without putting my finger on them whether they're going to have it or not. That just comes from uh, intuition. It comes, in my opinion, from actually giving a shit about the person that you're looking at. And you're not just jumping into, all right, well, you know, I got to do this orthopedic test, which won't help me figure anything out kind of thing. And I got to do this range of motion stuff. And you just, you check the boxes and, and you're not really in the moment with the person. I never do the same assessment twice on any person. I have like a set of what I might go through. Like, for instance, I'm a big fan of the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, and I'm actually one of its instructors. And we look at seven basic patterns that you would put anybody through. Can you touch your toes? Can you bend backwards? Can you twist? Can you move your neck? Can you move your arms? Can you squat? Can you stand on one leg? But I'm going to go through those. But if I have you go in there and I'm like, okay, I know I want you to try to touch your chin to your chest, and I know my next one is going to be, can you uh, bend over to touch your toes? But if I see something happen on your flex your chin forward and try to touch your chest, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole first. I'm not even thinking about touching your toe next. You know what I mean? So that just takes like a clinical thought process where you kind of go in the moment. It's the same way I teach too. I tell people that I'm going to kind of go where we are right here in this authentic moment. And that's going to lead me where I uh, need to be. And it very often does. Yeah. But what you were just saying too, makes me think just about the just the, the skill side of it. Like it's not just a series of a uh, can tests. Like there's a skill of observation and at what blew me away at actually the NKT seminar was just how like David and those guys who've been doing it for a while could get a muscle in position. It's like, they knew it was going to test a week. Like you said, like they, they didn't have to do a lot of pressure. It's just like just a very simple for those guys who, who've been doing it so long. It's just so simple and so skillful to determine if there's deficiency. And that, that really blew me away. Just tell you, you can't learn that overnight. It just takes, takes time and experience. Yeah. It, it's like with your athletes that want to learn to be a better sprinter or a better runner. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can show you a technique, but I mean, you got to practice it. Right. And then, then you got to make it your own really. Right. I mean, and then uh, it, the mastery is first of all about, getting in the trenches, uh, being like the gladiator in the arena where and you're bleeding every day, right? And then that's how you get the uh, experience that, that comes with touch. And, and that's like any athlete, any champion, like you know, always break the Michael Jordan one back. I mean, they fail the most, and that's the same way. But that says a lot about your character as a person and uh, as a therapist. And 
you, I mean, you may feel stupid sometimes when you're going through these things or you're, yeah. And you're like, man, I just don't even know if I want to do this anymore, but you have to have, if you want to, if you want to make a change in the world and you want to be a success, whatever that means for you, you have to embrace the willingness to look stupid. What, what I mean by that is that don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to get it wrong because that's the only way you're really going to make a difference in the world for yourself. But if you're not willing to step outside that comfort zone, you're not going to make a difference for somebody else. And that's what makes me really sad, actually. So when I first started, you know, with NKT many, many years ago, I mean, it was with David. I mean, we started the very first one. We only had 15 people that were the first ones to get it. I didn't have anybody to work with. It was just David and I'm Skyping with him over the thing and I'm just in the trenches getting my ass kicked left and right. But, you know, that's how you get there. Yeah. Uh, a follow-up question for you, too. Uh, this was one I, before I forget it, one of the few I had kind of in my mind. But you had mentioned a little bit about the stickiness of treatments. And this is something I'm really interested in. I think it pertains to multiple worlds, therapy, strength, and conditioning, because corrective exercise is just such a huge thing now. Yeah. What makes, uh, basically, what makes the, the correction stick? Like, what are some main things that can make something stick and last and, and actually change technique over time? Huh. Well, that's a big question. Well, uh, I'm going to give you the favorite two word answer. Everybody loves, but I'll, I'll kind of give you an answer beyond it. It depends, which means that, uh, what I got to use to stick for you might be different than the next person who comes on in. But honestly, one of the biggest things that can help it stick is, uh, not doing too much, too hard, too soon. We, we, we want to help somebody get better so much or they want to get better so much that we just throw a lot of stuff at them, right? I mean, a lot of different therapies or I'm going to give you all these different movements to do. And what I find is that we overload the nervous system. We just do too much. Uh, we go too deep on the things that we're doing. And in regards to correctives, uh, first of all, I hate that word corrective exercise because it implies something's wrong. And if you think about it from a body standpoint, what it's doing to you right now is highly functional because if it wasn't doing what it was doing right now to protect you, you'd be really screwed. I mean, it sucks to, to be in pain and it sucks to hurt. But, you know, it's the same thing when you got a cold. Yeah, you got a fever and you got a runny nose and you're coughing, but that's what your body's trying to do to get the shit out of your system so you get better faster. We want to shut it down. So we give you all these meds so you, quote, unquote, feel better. But it actually makes you stay sicker longer. And it's the same thing with regards to pain and the anti-inflammatories and the NSAIDs and people go out and do stupid shit when they think they feel better. Plus, those things overload your system anyway, and you become toxic because your lymph system can't get rid of all of it. So it just sits in your body. And so you have this temporary fix of, I feel better, but it takes you longer to get there. Um, so I, I like the word effective exercises, which means I don't give a shit what it is as long as it works. Um, most of the time, it's because the movement that we're giving them, the corrective that we're giving them, is too far beyond that person's own individual's nervous system to be able to learn anything from it, which means it's a threat threshold that they've reached and they can't get past it. And it can seem like something very simple to you. This is the most important part. Like maybe you're going to get them down on all fours, right? Your hands below your shoulders, knees below your hips, and you do the classic what we call bird dog in our industry where you put out, uh, say, your left arm straight out in front of you, parallel to the floor, and then you put your opposite side right leg back, parallel to the floor. And it seems like such a ridiculous, easy movement. But that is a complex, highly neurally charged movement pattern that most people, it's too, far, it's too much for them. They can't even begin to do it. And you can see it in their eyes. They're too stiff. They can't breathe. They're blinking too much. They're wobbling too much. And then we force them to do it. And then, oh, my God, we put something on their back and say, don't drop what's on your back because I want you to keep your pelvis level. So then they're freaking out about dropping what's on the back. They want to look good for you. 
and they'll do the requisite 10 repetitions on either side. But what I'm contending is you just wasted five minutes because that person's nervous system is not going to let them learn anything from it. What's happening in the back of their mind is, okay, Perry, just get through the bird dog movements. All you got to do is get through the movement, man, and then we'll move on to something else, okay? It's just about surviving. And then you're just like, okay, you did a great exercise for you, and your nervous system's like, you're not even close, brother. And then what you got to do is get them into a movement that seems ridiculously simple. So what I do is I put you on the ground, and I get you into these ground-based movement patterns. This is what my primal movement change is all about. It's all about neurology. So I'll put you down on the ground where you feel safe and where you feel stable because that's where you learn to move in the first place before you could walk. And then I'm like, all I want you to do is just a nice, easy kind of rolling pattern, man. Roll from your back and your stomach from your back. And if you can't do it, I make it so easy that you can do it so you feel confident about yourself. But here's the rub. You can't have any pain when you do it. You can't have any pain when you do it. If you have any pain when you do my movements, you can't do that movement. you got to find a different way to do the movement or – Maybe your right arm is really, really jacked up and you can't do any movement without your right arm hurting. And then I'm like, okay, well, we have to move the shit out of your left arm, your left leg, and your right leg. We move the rest of your body and that'll have a lot of neural carryover to the right side. So then you'll feel empowered that you can move and then eventually the right side begins to uh, let go. So the long-winded answer to your question is, it depends on the person that I'm working with is what neural threshold exercise that I give them. And I can determine that one from talking to you as a human being, looking at your past history, doing some movements. And when I make you move, I'm looking if I'm looking if your nervous system is freaking out. And when you know how to read it, it's very simple to show you that. And just because you're jacked up and you look like a hashtag beast mode, badass brick shithouse doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do these corrective movements. If anything, you're probably even more of a mess. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So many, like, I would call almost global implications in that answer. And I actually I appreciate that you mentioned long, I appreciate that it was a long answer. And, and hopefully I can remember all my follow-up stuff here. But the first thing, and I think <laughs> this resonates with anything, is like the minimal effective dose. I've had a lot of strength coaches on my podcast talking about that. And and if I've learned anything in the last year, it's kind of low volume entry weeks for athletes, not overloading people on the first week, like coming in gradually. And then uh, Z Health, they, are ta- like they do like flexibility stuff in between sets and reps to make sure that right. whatever, however much you did, didn't go over the minimum, the effective dose and diminishing returns. And it's like, a lower threshold than we think sometimes, especially with neurally complex movements. And uh, I, that was really cool. I It takes me to one of the um, coaches I've had, Chris Corfis, talking about inertial training in the K-Box, which is a really effective but neurally intensive uh, training device. You only need two or three reps on that thing to, to make a really strong effect. And I think that's cool. Like it, it really changes the way you almost think about everything, not, just, not even just rehab or not just strength and conditioning, kind of how it all ties together. I think that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I know Chris. He's a great, great coach. And I'm not saying that people can't train hard. I mean, of course you can, right? But um, you also have to look at where you are in your training spectrum. And uh, if, if you're in pain, I think most people listening know that that's, that's a different ball game, right? But a lot, most of these injuries that happen in uh, sports, except for like football or something, they're non-contact injuries, Right. And, and and stuff just happens to you. Most of the time, it's because they're they're neurally overtrained and fatigued. And it doesn't take much for their nervous system to just give up and let go. They're training all the time. They it, I look at, at the college athletes, particularly they, they got school, they got social life, they got pressure, they got training. They got it's just like nonstop for them. And then think about the emotional toll that that takes because I'm not about coming in first and no second place and that's hardcore kind of sports. I've seen countless chronic pain injuries tied to uh, that emotional anchor that people have. And and honestly, the the more I've done this work, uh, the last place I look as the underlying cause of your issue 
critical area of damage, unless it's traumatic, right? So if you say, okay, well, what's, what's one of the most common injuries that your runners get? Like plantar fasciitis, like it, knee pain, maybe, something like that, right? Chin splints, right? Yeah. That I mean, that's be, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just chronic type overuse stuff, right? I mean, and you know from going into be activated that if your shin hurts, that's because it's a distal zone driving for a proximal zone that can't do it. So basically your shin becomes your psoas or something, right? The body finds a compensation to generate power because it can't do it from where it needs to authentically. But we, we go in and we look at that shin. Like, oh, I'm attack your shin. And your shin is like, dude, what are you coming after me for? I'm not the problem. I'm probably the only one working. <laughs> I mean, go go look higher up to the slack asses up there. And they, they don't feel anything unless when I'm back to my jerk question. So I'm going to press in your shin, and I know that son of a bitch is going to hurt. But I'm also going to go up, and I'm going to press in areas around your whole torso that are not supposed to hurt. And I don't treat anything that's not a nine or a 10 when I push on it. So I know that pain is subjective, but I'm looking for your nine or 10. So I tell people zero to 10, you'll know when you hit a 10, a 10 is where you want to shoot me or kill me because it sucks. Uh, I don't treat it unless it's a nine or a 10. I don't even pay attention to it. So what I do is I know you got to have a nine or a 10 where you hurt. That's easy. What I'm looking for is another nine or a 10. And when I, correlate those two together i know that that other nine or a ten is where you have underlying inflammation you didn't know you had that's the secret you didn't know you had it the one you didn't know you had is one that was contributed to now the one that you know you got because you don't know you got inflammation until you get pain unless you know how to read the body which is which is something i've just dedicated to i can tell whether you're inflamed in a hot second and i pretty much know where to look and then when you treat those areas where you treat the side of pain, but just you treat the correlation to why it hurts, I can be really uh, I can put the two together because my mantra is there never there is never ever ever just one site never one site that would be too easy. I mean if it was that easy everybody could go to med school. I mean you know let me just shoot shoot this here where it is. I'll put an ice pack on there. Let me give you these antibiotics or whatever the hell you got to take for your pain, and then I'll send you on your way. And that's kind of what we're doing today. But you got to be way better than that. You got to be like a detective, man. You got to really take the time to look at that stuff. And the only way you're going to find it in musculoskeletal injuries that's non-traumatic is to watch them move and to talk to them. And so I have a hierarchy that I go through where uh, I, I don't even, I go through like seven to eight areas first before I even look at your, uh, side of pain. And, and then once I'll go there, um, you know, it, it gets much better, right? But it's very easy for me to figure that out. I've been doing this a long time and that's where stop chasing pain came from. Because if I treat your side of pain where it hurts and it gets better, well, that's perfect. I mean, sometimes you, you do see a leprechaun riding a unicorn. Sometimes that <laughs> shit happens, right? But Otherwise, if I treat it and it doesn't get better, I have to be better than that. I have to look somewhere else because I owe it to my patient to do that and to make sure that your back pain is not cancer or is not a tumor. And I have to use science in order to determine that. But then once I determine that and I know that it's not, then my territory and my buffet of any tool I want to use to get you better is free territory, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. This, the, where the, the pain science is going and then the practice is just so fascinating to me. Uh, Dr. Perry, you mentioned something, uh, a little bit ago about, and that this really struck a chord with me is like the idea of being dysfunctional or versus functional. And I, cause I feel like all these seminars I go to and, and screens, uh, you know, you learn and things you could find dozens of ways to tell athletes they're messed up and probably create a nocebo in the process. Like me and Quinn yep. Hennick were talking about this recently. And how do you, what's the line of, of like functional and dysfunctional? How do you, and this is the last question I have for you today. Uh, but how do you kind of draw that? What are some parameters to look at when, when you're going about it that way? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, how you talk to somebody really matters, right? I mean, that nocebo effect is, is huge, just like the placebo effect. Yeah, you know, and first of all, I don't have any problem with the placebo effect. I could give a shit. Like, I mean, 
as long as I know you don't have cancer or a life-threatening illness, if I tell you you can rub a, a stick of jelly bean in your ear and it's going to help your back and your back gets better, why do I give two shits? Especially if your back feels better, right? I mean, that this placebo stuff is beyond ridiculous. It is. These people. Because if you know the pain is in the brain and everything is perception, well, I mean, if I give you a, be- a jelly bean to put in your ear, that's a perception that you're getting better, so you'll get better. It's no different than me giving you a real pill from a fake pill. Right? That's assuming that you've ruled out serious illness or things that need surgical intervention. That's just common freaking sense. And in regards to um, the uh, – tell me what you asked again. Now I'm getting on my rant. Oh, right? oh functional, versus dis- <laughs> functional versus yeah. dysfunctional. So everything, if you think about it, right, we like to try to come at the body that something's wrong with it. Like – uh, if you have pain, but pain is actually extremely functional, right? And a, a edema or swelling or inflammation or a restriction in the joint, a, a, a locked up joint is not dysfunctional. A locked up joint is highly functional. Its job when it locks up is to keep you from moving. That's why it locks. You have to figure out why did my brain need to lock my right hip? What, what is it trying to protect me from? Well, it's trying to protect you from further injury, first of all, or it's trying to protect you from something much more serious you don't know about. But your brain also only lives in this moment that you're in. It doesn't care about the next second. It doesn't care about the next day. It has to deal with what's being thrown at it now. So to your brain... The locked up hip, even though we look at it as something that's quote unquote wrong, that's your body's best strategy that it can use to help you. And it's got your brain has one actually has one goal. I don't want you to die today, Perry. Please don't die. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure you don't die. Then now that I know that you're breathing, I'm going to do anything I can to try to avoid any pain in your life. And then I'm going to try to avoid you using any excess energy because honestly, Perry, I don't like to do shit. The brain is very lazy. It conserves energy. It takes the path of least resistance. So I can move your hip on my table one, two, three. I went to school for many years to do that. I went to many courses. I can elbow it. I can lead, I can needle it. I can yank it, I can crack it, I can pull it, I can manipulate it, I can whatever you want to do with it. Moving that hip is easy as hell. The hard part is getting it to stick. And if you don't ask that person's hip, hey, Mr. Hip, why did you decide to lock down and look for the answer, it's going to lock down again. I promise you it's going to lock down again. And once it gets beyond that, then it's going to start to really get to you. It may hurt somewhere else. So to me, my answer is very simple. Um, the body does all this stuff that is happening that seems dysfunctional, but it's highly functional in order to uh, protect you. And it's about safety and I, uh, or what I term stability. So stability to me, I don't even use that word anymore. I don't use the word stability. Stability, I use the word safety now. If your brain and your body feel safe, it'll let you do whatever the fuck you want to do. I mean, it'll just say, move as much as you want, lift as much weight as you want. I feel safe, man. I'm good. The world is glorious. It's a beautiful day. If it feels any threat whatsoever, it's going to put on the brake. It's not going to let you do what you do. So to me, the threshold is, is that if you can do some of these basic movements that I would put you through that shows me if the, the basic proprioceptive systems of your body work well, which is your eyes your vestibular system, your inner ear, um, your fascia, and your joints. Those need to work very well together. If any of those guys are off in any way, shape, or form in relationship to the pattern that I'm looking at, well, then your body's going to start to put you into threat mode. And the two biggest areas that nobody looks at uh, are eyes and then the vestibular system. You know, that's Z Health has got some great stuff with both of those that do really well. Uh, and that's a lot what my work is based on, not so much Z-Health. I mean, I'm not one of their practitioners, but I work with the, the eyes and the vestibular system as well because that's higher up in the hierarchy of 
safety and stability because if you can't see you're kind of screwed and if you can't balance you're even more screwed uh your fascia and your joints they take a distant back seat yeah right so i mean i hope that answered your question there's a hierarchy that you have to look at the body and the big takeaway is uh the top of the food chain is not where your pain is <laughs> yeah that's really cool it reminds me of a, a paul check video i think where it was like the totem pole of like the hierarchy of the body keeping you safe and yeah it started with like the eyes and the vestibular system and those yep. higher order things and if those weren't in proper good working order well then your body's in threat mode and it's not gonna function well you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah, it's just to your body, it's very simple. And people think to themselves, it can't be that simple, doc. It can't be that simple. And I'm like, well, how is this overcomplicating the shit out of everything really working for you? Right? We've got more research. I got more data. I got more tests. I got more people telling me it's got to be this. It can't be that. It's all in your head. And we've got all that stuff like never before. And in my opinion, we have more musculoskeletal pain. We are definitely more sick in autoimmune disorders than we ever were before, and chronic pain and obesity. So, you know, I'm going down that it can be just that simple if you get out of your own way. Yeah, the body is, is such an amazing thing. I, I, especially with what you were saying, um, especially with what you're just saying, like it could. Even in a quote-unquote dysfunction, it's doing everything it can to to give you your best on the day, I guess you could say. Uh, well, uh, yeah, we need to show the body a lot more respect than we do. I mean, we go in and we shut everything down that it does on uh, a level to protect you. And, of course, the levels can get out of control. That's when you have medicine, right? If you have an allergic reaction that goes too far or an infection that goes too far or swelling and inflammation. But that doesn't mean that we shut everything down at the get-go. Like as soon as I get a sniffle doesn't mean I got to go get an antibiotic. That's why we're in a world of mess with our gut. And as soon as I get a little bit of a pain somewhere, it doesn't mean I got to take an Advil or go get a cortisone shot. Maybe I just got to work with my trainer or work with my fitness coach, right? Because the doctor won't know shit about that, uh, putting that together in regards to movement. And then maybe I'm just going to get on the ground and explore movement of where it doesn't hurt. And then I can feel empowered that I don't have to be uh, so intimidated and scared of, of my body, right? I mean, we're designed as a human species to be strong, to be resilient. And I think we've become weak. We've become physically illiterate. We've become dependent on somebody saying you can or can't do this. Um, we definitely don't move more of ourselves more often. And we take the easy way out for everything. I'm going to take the elevator. I'm going to take the escalator. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the car, right? I mean, those those luxury items, even a chair. I'm going to sit in a chair. I'm not going to sit on the ground because sitting on the ground, that's too fucking hard, right? But those things, those things of convenience, that's what your brain loves. It's always going to go to those first because your brain likes easy. You have to step up and say to itself, I know this is not going to be inconvenient to take the stairs uh, up. I could take the elevator right here, but I'm going to throw some inconvenient movement at you, body. And then when you do that, your body will ultimately get to the top and say, you know what, Perry, that kind of sucked in the beginning, but I'm glad you did it because I do feel better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's great stuff. I, I, I love it. I think that sums up just, very well some of the things that you were talking about mentioning today uh dr perry where can people find you if they're trying to you know see more about what you do and and learn a little bit more where can they go oh well thank you well it's very easy to find me i'm not hard to miss i kind of been out there for a little while the easiest way to find me is on the internet of course you can type in uh, stop chasing pain stop chasing pain that's my business name and perry nicholson will come up under that and you can see all the places to contact me through my social media and my workshops and my uh, videos and that people can purchase and uh, my online memberships. I'm, I'm very excited that uh, this week I'm watching a, a brand new video about a system that very few people talk about. And I actually think it's probably the most important system in your body that nobody uh, works with. And um, that's your lymphatic system. So I think this video is going to blow a lot of heads up 
and change the way we look at the body. And I, that would make me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so. awesome. Sounds awesome, man. Well, thanks again, uh, Dr. Perry. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Oh, thanks, man. I had a blast. It was really a lot of fun. And, uh, it, you know, the great questions. And I appreciate the audience tuning on in and keep doing the great work that you're doing. It, it really does make a difference. And you reach that one person. That's a great thing, brother. All right. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back next week with another great guest. In the meantime, please leave us a rating or review if you enjoyed the episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you happen to be listening on. And also, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, uh, suppliers of high-end training technology such as the K-Box, Free Lap Timing System, 1080, and more. They have a range of products, not just from the, the high-end, like 1080, uh, 1080 Sprint and the Quantum, uh, but they also have things all the way down to like a Power Dot, basic EMS, basic effective EMS. And so there's something for everybody. They have a great blog. Definitely check them out. We'll be back next week. See you then. Have a good one.